Ramble. One guaranteed way to make me cry is just remind me of the lifespan of dogs compared to most humans. Listen, my dogs, Mango, I know, Rotten Mango, and Tiger have been with me since before I started YouTube, before this podcast, and I truly don't know where I would be without them. But like, all I can do right now is spend time with them, take care of them so that they live the happiest and healthiest life that I can give them. Farmer's Dog is such a huge part of that. Farmer's Dog makes it easy to keep your dogs healthy, which can give you more quality years with them. So Farmer's Dog, they make and deliver fresh, healthy dog food, and it's recommended by vets. My vet literally recommended me Farmer's Dog. It's nutritionally balanced and made from human-grade ingredients in safe, clean kitchens. Tiffany has been bringing Cola, her French bulldog, over, and she keeps some of his food at her house. She said that she's been having such a hard time trying to get him to eat, so I offered her some of Mango's food to give to him. She was amazed. She said that she's never seen Cola so pumped for food. Farmer's Dog is the best option for dogs at all life stages because it's it's not kibble, it's not canned goop, it's real food. With traditional dry or even wet food options, they're extremely processed. I mean, I can hardly understand the ingredients that go into it, and it's really hard to portion. It's difficult to understand if my dogs are getting the nutrients that they need. Farmer's Dog comes pre-portioned, and it's based on my dog's unique nutritional needs. So Mango and Tiger, they eat different meals, and it's so cool. Farmer's Dog is like human-grade food made in safe kitchens. My dogs have been on Farmer's Dog for years now, ever since Mango was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, and I just noticed so many changes. They've got a healthier coat, healthier skin, their breath is better, and right now, you can get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash mango. Let the Farmer's Dog know that we sent you. So use our code or click podcast after you sign up for your first box. That's 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash mango. Hey, what's in the oven? What is in the oven? I don't know. What is no, it? No, I mean, take a guess. If I tell you something's cooking in the oven, okay, n- maybe not our oven. I don't want to incriminate myself if the FBI ever listens to this. Mm-hmm. If I ask you just a simple question with no specifications, with nothing, no context, hey, mm-hmm. what you got cooking in the oven? What do you think the answer would be? A dead person. Yes, sir. It's about to be a crazy video. So today we've got two of the... Well, I really wanted to do something really creepy for Halloween. And this one, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I could ever outdo this one because it is just such a nasty story. We're talking about two of the most infamous cannibals in the history of cannibals. Now, the reason that they're infamous, though, however, is not because they just went around eating everyone. You know, I think... There are more people who ate more people than these two did. But it was the fact that they do it in such weird ways. So the first person that we're talking about today, she ends up making a curtain out of the skin of the person that she eats. And the second person that we're talking about today is a really creepy man who really likes to eat children. But before he eats these children, he wants the children to spank him because he's really into getting spanked. So let's get started, I guess, with the first person. Her name is Catherine Knight. Wait, so are they related or no? No. Oh, we're talking about two different killers. Yeah, uh uh-huh. Because it's Spooktober, so I wanted to just bam, bam, you know, what's in the oven? What you got cooking in that oven, you know? And the way that they cook them is really strange. We're going to get into the details of what vegetables did they pair them with, you know? (laughs) (laughs) How did they roast? There's bacon involved. Don't expect to eat for a while, okay? So let's get started with Catherine Knight's story. Now, Catherine Knight is a very interesting person because her story is going to blow your mind. I mean, she was born batshit crazy. This all takes place in 2001. She actually became the first Australian woman to be to get, be given a life sentence 
a life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. The first woman in Australia in 2001. That's their first? Yeah, I'm like, God damn, should we move to Australia? It sounds relatively safe there. <laughs> What? And, yeah, and it was so bad that the investigators who actually worked on this case, like the police who found the crime scene, they were so traumatized. They had to go through intense therapy. A lot of them actually gave up meat. Some of them couldn't eat meat for months. And it, it was a shit show. So let's talk about Catherine Knight's childhood. She was born in a conservative rural town in Australia, and she was born to a very unconventional, dysfunctional family environment. So her mom's name is Barbara. Now, Barbara was married to a guy by the name of Jack, who she had four sons with. She ends up getting um, into an affair, a little bit of a little thing, right? Mm -hmm. With a guy by the name of Ken Knight. And mm -hmm. this was really controversial in the area because this was actually a friend and a co-worker of her husband, Jack. Mm -hmm. So she starts sleeping around with Ken and... Um, <laughs> It's just weird. He doesn't look like Ken. So don't picture Ken and Barbie because that's what I did. And then I Googled his picture and he doesn't really look like that. What does he look like? Like Bob. Like a Bob. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we can make fun of him because he's a nasty dude, too. And so this became a major scandal in town. So she ended up moving away with Ken and she left two of her sons with Jack, her former husband. Mm -hmm. And then she left the other two sons with like an aunt, like a sister, or like a relative. Right. Mm -hmm. So her ex-husband has two sons and she's kid free. She moves with Ken Knight out of town and she ends up having four more kids with him. And the last two kids that she has with Ken. So now we're at eight kids okay yes is Catherine is one of them okay she is the younger of two twin girls mm -hmm. so she's part of a twin set i don't know if that's a appropriate thing to say but uh, i'm saying it sorry mm -hmm. and Catherine, when she was four years old jack ends up dying so her mom ex-husband who she has no like biological connection to yeah. ends up dying and so the two sons that were staying with jack end up moving in with Catherine, barbara and ken and the other siblings right so okay. these are her two half siblings right and she, she didn't really get along with them that much and it all kind of starts with ken so this dude that barbara was like you know what i'm gonna cheat on my first husband with this man who is also friends with my first husband he was a nasty guy he was an alcoholic he was really violent he loved to intimidate women and he would use these tactics to rape his wife barbara 10 times a day Up to 10 times a day. Yeah. He would rape his own wife because she did not consent to these. She was like, I'm sorry. Like, I don't want to do this with you. I am tired or A, B, C, and D or just no means no. We don't need a fucking explanation. Right. But he would literally hit her, beat her up until he raped her like 10 times a day. It's insane. I don't even know how someone can have sex 10 times a day, to be honest. But maybe that's a personal problem. <laughs> what you don't think I mean, <laughs> it's pretty alarming like yeah everything about it is pretty alarming yeah everything i i know why is why did that part stick with me okay yeah. yeah all of it is alarming and because of this whenever ken wasn't around barbara would literally look to her kids and be like listen i'm gonna tell you about something okay especially her two daughters she would tell them I hate sex and I hate men and you should too. So she would just kind of ingrain in their minds like some weird stuff. She would also kind of tell them too much about her sex life, which is something you just don't want to hear from any adult when you're a kid, but also definitely not your parents. Mm -hmm. So her kids kind of grew up around that environment. Now, Catherine also claims that she was assaulted by several of her family members, sexually assaulted when she was really young, like 
under the age of 11. This wasn't her dad, but you're talking uncles, you're talking distance relatives, and it continued till she was 11. There's no evidence of it, and there are a little bit of like plot holes in her story of abuse. However, however, psychiatrists, they all believe it happened. I mean, there's no doubt that something traumatic happened, especially because a lot of family members actually corroborated the story. They were like, yes, I remember she was assaulted. Mm. So she did she did have some trauma. And not mm. only that, there was a lot of family tension, okay? Barbara's great grandmama, she was an indigenous Australian woman. Barbara was really proud of it. She was like, yes, my great grandma is indigenous. And she would always tell people this. However, Ken did not like that. Ken was like, you need to stop telling people because they lived in a very conservative rural town where lots of people were racist. So they were like, if you keep telling people, like our kids are going to get bullied in school because they're not like pure. Which is uh, really funny because indigenous usually means like you were there first. So I don't, Mm, you know, but anyways, they kept it like a big secret. It caused like a lot of tension within the children, too, because they were like, wait, I don't understand my history. Like, am I allowed to tell people this? Like, people are making fun of me for this. Like, am I supposed to be proud of this? And they just had a little bit of a difference of how they should parent their children, which is not always a good idea. So the place that they lived in was called Aberdeen, which is in South Wales. It's about three hours north of Sydney. And it was like a mining town. It was a a very industrial small town. I wouldn't say it's like your picturesque. Like when I go there on like a wine tour, probably not type of vibe, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So they had two pubs. Two uh, pubs? Yeah, like a bar. Just two bars in the whole town, you're saying? Yeah, and then it was called the top bar and the bottom bar. So like the top of the town. (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't know why. That's so cute. That's really cute, (laughs) though. Is it cute? Yeah, they're like, hey, you going to the pub tonight? Top or bottom? You know? It's kind of fun. Yeah. It's not even like, oh, what club are you going to? It's like top or bottom, you know? (laughs) I don't know. I just thought it was kind of cute. And so Catherine, she's close with her twin sister and she's really close with her uncle Oscar. Okay, now Uncle Oscar had committed suicide when she was really young and she claims that throughout her entire life, his ghost would just periodically visit her. (laughs) I'm not laughing. I just Mm -hmm. think like there's a lot going on in this story. Yeah. yeah. So she went through a lot growing up. Yes. Yeah. So she claims that her uncle's ghost would constantly visit her so she just really wasn't close with anyone but her twin sister now to give you some background on high school right Uh the way that everyone remembers her her classmates remember her as being a loner but also a bully they said that she was a bully of small children so she was not one of those bullies that was really smart or witty i don't think those really exist but she was a bully of (laughs) someone who just picked on people who were smaller than her physically speaking because Catherine was a very physically violent person and it started when she was young she assaulted at least one boy during high school she was also injured so Catherine herself got injured by a teacher and at first you're like oh shit like the teacher's gonna get fired right Mm -hmm. but um we later find out that the teacher acted in self-defense because Catherine tried to attack the teacher first (laughs) (laughs) so um yeah she was a little bit violent yeah but when she wasn't angry she really had a life ahead of her she was a model student she randomly got awards for good behavior when she wasn't in these like fits of rage but when she would be angry like it would just a word for good behavior yeah like there would be some months where she was just never angry and they'd be like wow you are really like the prime student and you deserve an award yeah and then they'd give her the award and then she would like try to assault a teacher and then they'd be like give me that shit back 
I'm just kidding. I don't think they did that. But they were like, okay, like what's going on? Okay. Yeah. And so she drops out of high school at 15 years old. She couldn't read. She couldn't write. Um, I think she later ends up learning. But at the time, it was just rough. So she immediately gets a job at a clothing factory. And she's like a clothing cutter. And she didn't really like it much. Now, her mom and her, Barbara and Catherine, had a tumultuous relationship. Catherine remembers complaining to her mom about, hey, like I'm dating this guy and he wants me to do this sex act with him and I don't really want to do it I just don't feel comfortable I don't feel like it's something that I'm interested in and what would a mom say I mean I'd probably say you shouldn't be doing any sex anyway but um second of all then don't do it you need to let him know like I don't feel comfortable you would say all these like cool parenting shit right that you read about you're like I'm gonna be an amazing mom Uh um but her mom was like just put up with it and stop complaining like she was just really just a shitty I thought you say the mom kept telling her that yeah sex is bad or yeah but she also doesn't know how to tell her to stand up for herself yeah And I think, you know, it happened with her mom getting assaulted so many times Mm. that maybe she feels like this is what just women live with. Got it. Right. So that seems more of like the vibe. I think that she's just like, what do you just stop complaining? Like it'll Mm. be over. Right. Type of situation. And so she after she works at the clothing company, she ends up getting a job at the slaughterhouse. So she works at a meat factory and she ends up becoming promoted to being a butcher and a boner. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) That's a real job? (laughs) No. Being a boner. No, I meant, why am I 12 and laughing at boner? (laughs) No, she got promoted to boning. Boning, got it. Yes. And she was even given a set of butcher knives. And she said this was her dream job. Like, she's always wanted to work at the slaughterhouse, which I don't know. I mean, I don't judge, but I just wouldn't think that, like, I just feel like that would be such hard, stressful, probably mentally taxing work that I don't think I would call it a dream job, right? But um, she was like, no, this is like literally where I'm the happiest is at work. And so she was like, this is my dream job and I love it so much. So she brings home her butcher knives and she starts hanging them over her bed on the wall. And she would tell people it's always handy if I need them since they're literally hanging on top of her head. I mean, I don't know about you, but I would just be so terrified that one would just slip and fall and like poke my eye out. Yeah, exactly. Like you can't do that in LA. Yeah. Oh, the earthquake. (laughs) One earthquake away from death. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She was like, yeah, it's always handy if I need them. And she continued this on for the rest of her life until she was in prison, because obviously you don't get knives in prison and you can't hang them above your little prison cell. Mm. So. She's she's very interesting. Now, at this slaughterhouse, that's where she meets David Collette. And we're just going to call her and David number one. Because the way that she dates is weird. So we're going to go through four different relationships of hers, and they're all crazy. And she dates David Collette, another David, and then she dates a John, and then another John. So she dates David, David, John, John. I don't know how to feel about that. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Okay, So David number one was David Collette and they met at the slaughterhouse. He was a fellow co-worker and he used to work for the railways before he started working at the slaughterhouse. Now, this is very pertinent to all of this because when he was working at the railways, he saw his best friend get killed in an accident on the railroad. So he literally saw a train hit his best friend and he died in front of him. And then the second incident that happened on the railway was that he saw the train hit a school bus that killed 
killed six children. And because he's a railway worker, he had to help rescue the injured children and remove dead bodies of the children from the school bus. So because of that, he said that he just went into like this drinking fit. He was a heavy, violent alcoholic now he ends up losing his railway job because he would drink all the time and then fall asleep on the job while working which then later caused several train disrailments the trains went off the rails because he like didn't do his job that's a lot of accidents (laughs) in one man's short career yeah but i also like think it's interesting that it caused several disrailments for them to be like hey i don't think you're right for this job yeah but like how the hell does something hit a bus school bus yeah and this was not an area where the train it wasn't like new york city where there's just constantly trains everywhere it was a a rural town where there wasn't a lot of trains coming in and out right 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 these people are so probably very underqualified yeah to be railway workers yeah absolutely holy moly yeah so he ends up losing his job at the railways and he starts working for the slaughterhouse now he is still a heavy drinker and his favorite thing was to get into fist fights that was it like he would fist fight people at work he would threaten to fist fight people and him and Catherine met at work and they start dating and there would be lots of stories where people would say David Collette would try to fist fight Catherine and try to beat the shit out of Catherine but Catherine would beat the shit out of him back 10 times harder. Like she would literally fist fight him back and win. Does he like it? I don't think so. (laughs) I don't think it's like one of those, ooh, this is kinky, like, you know, type of things. Oh, no, no, no. I'm saying, is he enjoying the fight? oh no no like he was genuinely mad and then there would be a lot of times where like david collette would get drunk and then he would try to fist fight other dudes and then he'd be losing so Catherine would jump in and be like i got you boo and then she would beat the shit out of the dudes (laughs) i don't know why i'm laughing so inappropriately today you know it's really hard sometimes telling a true crime story when you're in a genuine good mood (laughs) with everything going on i feel like we need a little bit of help being in a good mood wouldn't you say so hanaba yes 2020 is ending i'm starting to get this anxiety of everyone saying 2020 sucks but um does everything just go away january 1st like is that the agreement that we've come to and i'm starting to experience extreme anxiety that comes with that and i'm sure a lot of you guys have been feeling the same way i know everyone's talking about it online but do we have a solution to it i mean i think i have something that would really help anyone and it's better help you guys know that i've been talking about better help for quite some time now and it's not a crisis line it's not a self-help line it's a professional counseling that is done securely online which is amazing because i mean right now nobody's really leaving their houses and i don't really feel comfortable going to an in-office visit with like a counselor and just telling them about my feelings with my mask on i just want to do it from the comfort of my house the best thing is you can actually start communicating with your professional therapist that is licensed in under 48 hours they also have a broad range of expertise available which might not be locally available in many areas and the service is available worldwide you can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor at any time and you'll get a timely and thoughtful response plus if you're interested you can actually schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you never have to sit in that uncomfortable waiting room of traditional therapy but here's the best part 
It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. You can actually visit their website and read all the testimonials that are posted on a daily basis. There's over a million people who have taken charge already of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. We've got 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash rotten. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash rotten rotten for 10% off your first month so then she would just go and back him up in these fist fights and it was just a tumultuous relationship David would go around actually allegedly bragging about the fact that when they first started dating that he would sleep with Catherine's twin I don't know if this is true I really hope not this is all alleged this is like rumor in town right and Catherine was a a very violent person, so she would physically threaten anyone who pissed her off, including David, or if you pissed off David, she would threaten to physically hurt you as well, and they were just having major problems. I mean, she was, she was protective, she was jealous, she's violent, and she's kind of um, tumultuous, like her emotions can flip just in a light little switch, right? And David was a major violent alcoholic, so obviously this is not going to be like a match made in heaven, like holding hands into the sunset walking on the beach type of relationship but regardless of all of this Catherine convinces david that they should get married mm. so he is like okay they get married and the couple arrive to their wedding on Catherine's motorcycle <laughs> and david's already wasted like the wedding hasn't even started and david the groom is so intoxicated that people didn't even think he knew that he was at his own wedding like it was really bad right and barbara this is Catherine's mom said a little piece of advice at the wedding to david watch out she's gonna fucking kill you do something wrong do something the wrong thing or do it the wrong way, and you're fucked. Don't ever think about cheating, because she's going to fucking kill you. She's got a screw loose somewhere, okay, dude? She's going to kill you. She's got a screw yeah. loose. Like, that's what the mother-in-law said to the son-in-law. Like, is that not scary? Like, I would be, I don't even know how I would feel about that. Huh. How would you feel if my mom pulled you aside at our wedding, and she said she's going to fucking kill you? I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> and then their wedding night, Um, it seems like maybe things were a little bit jinxed, and maybe the things were starting to come true because they ended up having sex a couple times on their wedding night and David fell asleep afterwards after all their sex and he woke up to Catherine strangling him with her hands around his neck and he was able to fight her off and the reason that she had strangled him on their wedding night was because everybody else all of her friends all of her family that she talked to they all said that they were having sex three to four times on their wedding night and he only had sex with her twice before passing out and that was unacceptable now, if that <laughs> if that makes you feel like, OK, well, definitely he was filing for a divorce right after that. Like maybe this is the shortest marriage that ever existed. You wouldn't believe when I tell you that they actually stayed married for the next 10 years and they would have two children together. Wow. And it was an incredibly violent marriage. So she fell pregnant with her first kid. And that's when the whole darts competition happened. Right. So David is like, hey, listen, babe, I'm going to go. I know you're pregnant right now, but you're like just going to hang out at home. Right. I'm going to go to this dart competition at the pub and I'm going to just shoot some darts at the bar and I'm going to be back. Right. So she's like, "Okay, sounds good. Have fun. He goes to the dart competition and he comes home a little bit late because he made it to the finals. He wasn't expecting that. Like he's not that good at darts. So he was like, there's I mean, I'm going to be back in like an hour. Right. 
but he mm-hmm. made it to the final. So of course, why would you leave? Yeah. So he came back a little bit late. And Catherine, by that point, who was heavily pregnant, had already burnt all of his clothes all of his shoes and she was waiting for him to come home so that she could hit him on the back of the head with the frying pan (laughs) yeah wow all while heavily pregnant and this is when david was like oh my god i'm gonna die so he fled for for his life and he went to his neighbor's house collapsed onto the ground the neighbors called the police he was taken to the hospital he was found to have a severely fractured skull so i don't know if it was like a cast iron but it was it was a heavy duty hit that she yeah like a leg crusette swinging at his head the police department they definitely wanted to charge her with something because this is absolutely crazy like this is not acceptable but Catherine was able to talk david out of charging her so he dropped the charges and they gave birth to Catherine's first child with david collette and she was named melissa ann collette so Catherine had her first baby oh okay okay yeah and there was just a lot i think during that their 10 years of marriage david ends up leaving her for another woman at one point like he was just so fed up with the abuse that he was like i can't do this anymore now david's mom was living in a place called queensland and she had kind of like introduced him to somebody else and he was like okay i'm gonna like start dating her and i'm gonna sneak out in the middle of the night when Catherine is asleep because i'm so terrified of Catherine, and i'm gonna go to queensland and i'm just gonna call it a day like i I'm too scared to do this. Now, Catherine wakes up that morning and she realizes that her husband has officially abandoned her. I mean, she knows what's good. Like, she knows that he's not going to go buy some milk. You know what I mean? Like, she gets the idea. Uh So that next day, she was seen in town putting her newborn baby. Like, I would say, I think she was, Melissa was only like a month or two old, right? Uh She put her newborn baby into a little stroller and she was walking down Main Street with this stroller, violently thrashing the stroller from side to side what is she doing fucking playing mario kart with her stroller like she was just being so violent now the reason that this is really alarming is because first of all babies are so fragile but you're not really supposed to shake a baby like that's like the one thing that they teach you is like never shake a baby it's not like just their like bones are too fra- like weak. i think it has something to, oh, let me i need to google this i mean my sister's gonna have a baby so that's why i'm like googling things i need to be careful about so i'm like okay noted baby's not a salt shaker So a serious brain injury resulting from forcefully shaking an infant or a toddler is called shaken baby syndrome. What does that mean? So it usually happens when a parent or a caregiver shakes a child in frustration or anger. So you know how like if you get frustrated, you're like, ah, stop, right? But it can cause permanent brain damage or death. But I mean, it's rare. So there's less than 200,000 cases a year in the US. That's what they call rare. 200,000? Yeah. That's a lot. That's That's really scary. So um, she was like violently thrashing the stroller from side to side. So even if that didn't, like the shaken baby syndrome didn't exist, I'm sure people would be like, I don't think you're, you know, like what's going on? We need to have a talk. So she was sent immediately to St. Elmo's Psychiatric Hospital. That's where she was diagnosed with postnatal depression. And she spent several weeks recovering at this hospital. Now, the minute that they release her, she takes her two-month-old Melissa and she goes straight to the railroad.
railroad tracks. And she places Melissa, who's two months old, on the railroad tracks before a train is due. Because like I said, this is a rural town. It's not going to be like a train every five minutes. But they have like a schedule of like, okay, this comes at this time, right? So she's like, oh, the train's coming in like 30 minutes. I'm going to place my baby here. So she places Melissa on the train tracks. She goes into like the main town area, grabs an axe, and starts threatening to kill people. So is the is Melissa dead? Thankfully, there is a guy by the name of Old Ted. That's uh-huh. his name, Old Ted, and he was able to save Melissa minutes before the train passed. She gets arrested and she's sent back to the same hospital. Now, for some reason, they just kind of like let her go the next day. They're like, oh, you feel good now? So they release her back into the wild the next day. And that's when she comes up with this crazy plan that she was going to kill a bunch of people. The first person that she wanted to kill is the mechanic. Now, who is the mechanic? You ask. He is an auto mechanic. He just fixes people's cars. And he had recently fixed David's broken car. And David had used that car that is now fixed to drive away in the middle of the night so Catherine, in her crazy brain she was like yes he deserves to die mm-hmm. <laughs> and so a few days after that she grabs a bunch of knives and she slashed a random woman's face with the knife and demanded that this random woman drive her to queensland so they drive 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 the random woman stops at the gas station she's literally bleeding from the face right now because she's been slashed on the face and she was able to call from help at the gas station pretending to put in gas mm-hmm. the police are called They're on their way. But by that time, Catherine knew some shit was going down. So she takes a young boy hostage and is threatening to kill him with a knife when the police get there. Oh, my gosh. Now, that's when the police attack her with brooms. I'm not making anything up. I mean, okay. so I think it was it was too much to attack her with any weapons because the boy's right there. So they grabbed a bunch of brooms and they just attacked her with brooms and they were able to take her to the local psychiatric hospital called Morissette Psychiatric Hospital. And that's when she told all the nurses about her devious plan to kill the husband, kill the husband's mom and to kill the mechanic that fixed her husband's car for him. Mm-hmm. So that was her genius plan. Now, David, when he hears about this, he decides to move back. He leaves his girlfriend and he moves back to the town that he was living with, with his mom to support his wife. And together they move to like a suburb in Brisbane and she gets like a job at a different meat working place and they end up having another daughter by the name of Natasha Marie. But it just wasn't going to last long. So they end up getting separated again. And this time it seems like Catherine was okay with it. She was Mm. like, you know what? You're right. I'm kind of over you too. So she moves back home, gets her job at the slaughterhouse back that she loves so much. And within a year, she injures her back. And now she's out on disability pension. So she's not really working. And I think this kind of added to everything going on. So Catherine seems to have a very obsessive relationship personality type, right? Where she's just like, I need to obsess over this man. No matter what right and i think her losing her job because she had injured her back made things a lot worse so she had all this free time now right yeah and that's when she meets david saunders David number two. David number two. Now, David number two was a 38-year-old minor, and within a few months, he moves in with Catherine and Catherine's daughters. But he had kind of kept his own apartment that was in, like, a neighboring town because, you know, his lease isn't over yet, and they had just been only dating a few months. Like, who knows if this is going to work out? But also, at the same time, he just kind of wanted his own space sometimes. You know, Catherine's got daughters. Catherine is a little bit overprotective. She's a little bit much. So he thought, you know, sometimes, me, I need to go get a breather. I'm just going to go back to 
to my apartment, take a breath, you know, hang out with myself, maybe hang out with some buds and then come back and it'll be all okay. Mm -hmm. And she was not okay with this. She felt like this was him saying, hey, I would very much like to cheat on you. That was her interpretation of all of this. And so Catherine becomes just increasingly jealous. Randomly, she would bring up the conversations of like, when are you going to get rid of that apartment? He's like, well, I mean, I just uh, I was going to I was just going to keep it for now. And then she would kick him out. So then he would go back to the apartment mm-hmm. and then she would show up and say, can you come back? Uh-huh. <laughs> so now it kind of hit a breaking point when they ended up getting a two month old puppy together. She asked David, David, number two, do you know what happens to people who cheat on me? Because I, th- I feel like you're trying to cheat on me. And he's like um i'm not trying to cheat on you like i would never cheat on you like what do you what do you mean and she said well if you do just remember this and she grabs a knife and she slits the two-month-old puppy's throat right in front of david and she said this is an example of what's gonna happen to you if you cheat on me oh man he he didn't pack his backpack and run as far as he didn't have the chance because immediately after she knocked him unconscious with a frying pan did she get a puppy just to do this? We don't know. They got a puppy together like most people do in like a relationship sometimes, you know? Not most people, but dog people, I guess. Wow. Yeah. And they end up having bo- daughter number three. Mm-hmm. So this is her first daughter with David number two, but her third daughter by the name of Sarah. Mm-hmm. Now, this causes David number two to put a deposit on a house so that they could all live together, right? Mm-hmm. And Catherine over decorates the shit out of this house. I mean, you are talking animal skin, skulls, horns, rusty animal traps, leather jackets, machetes, pitchforks. They said that no space was left uncovered, including the ceiling. Like she would hang shit on the ceiling, like she would wallpaper the fucking ceiling. Why is that? I'm not sure. Okay. I don't know if she was watching just too much HGTV, but like, yeah, that was, I don't know why, like all these articles, they just kept noting that Mm. like nothing was left uncovered. Right. So yeah, it gets really bad because her and David would just increasingly get into more fights and then she would even hit him on the face with an iron. And at one point she smacks him on the face with an iron and then stabs him in the stomach with a pair of scissors. So he escapes out of this house that he lives with his family together and he leaves and he goes back to his apartment. Mm -hmm. When he gets to his apartment, he realizes that Catherine had already been there and had torn up all of his clothes. So all of his clothes are cut into like tiny little pieces. So he's like, oh my gosh, like this is insane. So he takes a leave of absence from work. So he's like, let me tell you guys, I just need to go into hiding. So Catherine, the entire time is trying to find him. Like he's not at the apartment. He's not home. Like, where is he? She's asking all of his friends, all of his family members. And nobody's trying to tell her where he is because she is going to kill him. Like it seems like she's going to kill him. Right. Mm -hmm. And months later, he returns to see their daughter. Mm -hmm. because like I said, Sarah was still there and Catherine goes to the police department and says, David is abusive. Oh my God. So they give her a restraining order against David. Okay. So by that point, during the months that he had went into hiding, she had actually moved on. So she wasn't obsessed by him anymore. So she just wanted revenge of like, you can't fucking see your kid anymore. Now, Mm -hmm. that's when she starts dating John Chillingworth. And this is like a very public relationship she has. So he was also a former Slaughterhouse co-worker. They have her fourth kid together. And this one's a son. She names Eric. They Mm -hmm. start dating for about three years. 
you know, and all of this is very calm. People say this was probably her best relationship yet because the entire three years she was cheating on John Chillingsworth. So this is why what? maybe their relationship was so good. Like John Chillingsworth said there was no, you know, violence in the house. Really, there was no abusive, jealous tendencies. It just felt really calm. Like Catherine Knight is really calm. I was really surprised because I had heard all these rumors about her. Right. Uh-huh. And people are saying, well, yeah, because she was cheating on you the whole time. And so. So she ends up leaving him after three years for the guy that she was having this very long affair with. And his name was also John. It was John Price. John Price was a father of three children and he was divorced at the time that he starts dating Catherine Knight. And everyone called him a terrific bloke because this is Australia. So he was a terrific bloke. What's a bloke? Dictionary. Bloke. Noun. Definition. A man. i thought it was gonna be like something cooler like terrific like dude you know (laughs) but just like a man (laughs) so he's a terrific man (laughs) yeah is this australian saying yeah bloke yeah he has three children now he has his youngest which is a two-year-old daughter that went with his ex-wife and john's Price's two eldest kids were living with him. So he was a single father, right? And a Mm -hmm. divorced father. Now the kids, both of the eldest kids really liked Catherine and she ended up moving in with the family. So it was like this huge blended family that they had. And I mean, John Price knew about her violent reputation, but he didn't think it was going to be that bad. He didn't think like he thought, you know, maybe this happened because these dudes weren't treating her right. Like, that's probably it. Like, maybe they were cheating on her. That's what it seems like. It has nothing. to. Maybe it's not Catherine. Mm -hmm. So he just let her move in. Now, the first couple of years, it was just roses and rainbows. Everything was great. I mean, yes, there was a a couple of fights here. And most of it had to do with the fact that he refused to marry her. Mm-hmm. But overall, I mean, it was okay right. until she started getting verbally and physically extremely abusive. They have this one explosive fight because he just refuses. He says, listen, Catherine, I told you so many times and I need you to stop asking me because it's never going to happen. We're never going to get married. OK, I've got these children I'm taking care of. Like, I'm just not ready for this. I it's not, it hasn't been that long since I've been divorced. I just want to do what's right for my kids first. And mm-hmm. then so that, like he wants his kids to feel like they came first right Mm -hmm. so she's like that is unacceptable Mm -hmm. you know it's not even like he refused to get married because he's like listen i'm still trying to see like if i can get a you know a cooler person than you right Mm -hmm. he's just saying like i want to put my kids first but she decided to get revenge on him by taking pictures of things that he had allegedly stolen from work Mm -hmm. and when i say stolen from work we are talking about an expired first aid kit and it's about worth like $20. And he had taken it from the company trash bins and he had mentioned it. He was like, can you believe that the company just tried to throw this away? Like just because it's expired and he had brought it home and she ends up taking a picture of it and it's worth like $20. Okay, it's a first aid kit. It's not like a surgical kit, right? Yeah. And she takes a picture of it, shows it to his boss's boss. Now, the thing is, his boss felt like he couldn't do anything. Like the company was telling him to fire him. He ends up firing John Price, who had been working there for 17 years, had no past record of like theft, had no record of like being a bad employee, but they had to fire him. 
he ends up kicking her out that day because, I mean, think about it. He's got children. He might be even supporting his ex-wife and their two-year-old daughter and his two kids. Like, this is his livelihood. Like, you don't mess with someone's livelihood, especially when they have kids. Yeah. So he was just like, you need to get out of here. Now, all of the townspeople knew about this because they were like, this is insane. Like, he has been working there for 17 years. Like, it just was this huge thing of like, wow, how could they do this to John? I mean, how could she do this? But also, how could the company do this? Right. It was just a lot. Now, three months later, though, John restarted his relationship with Catherine. I think, honestly, it was a lot of abuse from Catherine's side. And he doesn't let her move in initially. Mm -hmm. But like she starts like leaving all of her shit in his house again. You know, you know, the drill. That's when even John Price's friends were like, listen, we can't be friends with you anymore if you're going to keep dating her because she's not good for you. Mm -hmm. And I don't know when you're going to get that through your head, but you need to get that through your head. Mm -hmm. So they keep dating for a couple more years. And in February of 2000 is when everything really starts just hitting the fan. February of 2000, Catherine stabs John Price in the chest. He's like, okay, like it obviously wasn't like the deepest chest wound, but there was a bit of a wound, you know, he had stabbed her. So he's like, okay, this is um, you got to get out again, right? Like this, we can't do this. And he ends up kicking her out. She gets a restraining order on him. He gets a restraining order on her. And the next day he ends up going to his coworkers and his boss and says, listen, if I'm not at work tomorrow, something happened to me. Catherine murdered me. and all of his coworkers are like dude don't go home like just stay at my place dude and he's like i can't i have to go home because my kids are home and i don't want my kids like anything to happen to my kids so he knows exactly what's about to happen he feels something weird you know like he's just like it's uh, like something was tugging at him Wow. and so he's like just i just want you guys to know if i don't show up this is exactly what happened we broke up again she probably killed me so he goes home that day and Catherine not home when he gets home and neither are any of his children so it seemed like the children had been sent over to friends houses for a sleepover so this he was able to confirm the children Uh were unharmed they were also not home so he's like okay i'm just gonna do what i do on a normal basis and go through with my routine so he goes to his neighbor's house they have a little bit of a late dinner together they drink some beers and then he ends up coming home and falling asleep at around 11 Uh p.m now Catherine, that day she was also very busy she went to go buy some new black lingerie and she also videotaped her children which was later interpreted as a will so it was like a video of her like saying like hey like you get this she gets some black lingerie and she videotapes her children so she goes back into the house while john price is asleep he she watches tv for a couple minutes Uh then she takes a shower she Uh wakes up john price and they have sexual relations in her new black lingerie Uh then he falls asleep again now the next day 6 a.m rolls around Mm-hmm. And the neighbor is concerned because his car is in the driveway and his neighbor's like, John is never late for work. Why is he still home? None of this makes sense. You know, the neighbor was also spending the night with him last night. Remember, they had dinner together yeah. and he had told him all of the stuff about Catherine. Uh-huh. So he just thought, OK, like he literally told me to be warned if he hears something like say something type of vibe. And his car is still parked in the driveway when he should be at work. So he's like, okay, this is weird. So he starts kind of freaking out. Now at work, they start freaking out because he's not showing up for work and he's late. So they're like, literally yesterday, he said, if I don't show up for work, I've been murdered. So the employer is like, come on, we got to go see what's going on. I mean, amazing people, right? I don't know if any of my past employers would do that. (laughs) 
<laughs> so they're like, we got to go see what's going on. So the neighbor and a coworker end up showing up to John's house at the same time. Like the neighbor walks over and the coworker ends up pulling up at the same time and they start knocking on the front door. They don't see anything. So they look through the bedroom window. They don't really see anything. So they go back to the front door and they see a tiny bit of blood on the front door. So they're like, what are the odds? Like, what are the coincidences? This is weird. So they immediately call the police. And by eight o'clock in the morning, the police show up. They start knocking. They start looking through the windows. Now, they couldn't really see into the living room area through the window because there was like this curtain that was hanging. Yeah. That was like blocking it. Mm-hmm. And so the cop was like, well, I can't freaking say anything because of that curtain. Like who just hangs a curtain there? You know, it's not even a window. They're not even hanging a curtain on the window. It was like a curtain hanging on the door frame. So imagine like we just hang a curtain on our office door instead oh. of like a door. Oh, uh, Okay. So, I mean, but like it's it's a little weirder than that because it wasn't in replacement of a door. It's just like a little arch where it would enter a different room. So like the living room, let's so say there's blocking like something. Yeah. So I okay. guess they're trying to close off the space. They just thought it was weird. Like the cops were like, that's just a little bit weird. Like nobody really puts a curtain there. Right. Yeah. And so they decide to break in through the back door. Wow. And when they break in, oh, my gosh, it was bad. There was blood everywhere. Mm-hmm. okay so they're like we know something's like going on in here like the minute that they walk in they see blood so one of the cops he was walking in first and that's when he approaches the curtain and he's trying to just pull the curtain back uh-huh. so that he can walk in now he uses his arm to kind of swipe the curtain to the side you know like imagine it right now put your arm out in front of you and use it to kind of pull back what you would assume to be a curtain And he puts his arm down and he realizes, he looks down at his arm, that his arm is now covered in blood. That doesn't Hmm. make sense. You know, why is someone just hanging a bloody curtain? Mm -hmm. And that's when he gets a closer look because he wasn't really paying attention. I mean, you have to remember that you just walked in. You see so much blood already. You're probably kind of like frantic. Like, is someone in here? Is someone trying to kill me now, right? The cops don't know what they're walking into. They don't know if someone's home. They don't know if someone is crouching in a closet trying to kill all the police, right? Yeah. So he looks at his arm. It's bloody as hell. Uh-huh. So he looks up. You already know. The curtain was not a curtain. It was hum- human skin? The curtain was human skin hanging from the doorway what someone had been completely skinned oh my and their skin was now hanging from the doorway how how would someone even know how to do something like that well i guess if you work at a slaughterhouse you might have some knowledge of how to do these things they walk through the doorway through the skin curtain and on the ground they see a bloody torso with no head there's blood everywhere. Like we're talking walls, the floor. There is blood Wait, everywhere. The torso that's probably skinless. Yeah. Oh my God. They walk into the kitchen and the table had been set. That's weird. The table, the dining table had been set with plates mm-hmm. and these plates had food on them. You know, there was meat, there was a baked potato, there was some pumpkin and beets and zucchini and cabbage and gravy. It looked like a full meal and each plate had names on it and they were all names of John's children. It looked like someone had prepped for a dinner party just now and they're like, what the heck? 
Yeah. Later, they're going to find out that the meat was actually um, John Price's back muscles that were cooked in the oven with a bunch of vegetables Holy that had shit. been plated on the dinner table for John's children. Let that soak in. Like, imagine a cannibal is like, I'm going to make the victim's kids eat the victim. I, I just, it's so. Like, force feed them? Whether, I think it was more like trickery. Like, just here, I made you some. Trickery? The whole house is covered in blood. I know. That's what people don't understand. Is either force feed or, like, truly a dinner party. Just be like, hey, like, eat this. Because that's more common with cannibalism. You see a little bit more cases of people, like, feeding other people food without telling them it's, Mm -hmm, you know. mm And they also found another meal that was discarded on the back lawn. The speculation is that Catherine tried to eat it, but then couldn't. So she like threw it into the backyard, which is a little bit odd. But that's like the whole speculation that they had. So the police end up looking through the house some more. And they realize that the skin is attached to butcher's hooks in the doorway. The skin curtain. And that's when they're like, okay, like we're kind of piecing things together. Where is John's head? Uh-huh. So they're looking, looking, looking. And they're like, oh, no. There was a pot on the stove. Oh, shit. So they go to the pot on the stove. And John's head had been cooked. And it had taken place early in the morning. The pot was still warm. So they're like, oh, my gosh. I mean, the police really were so traumatized. They said this is something that you never really expect to see as a police officer. You're like not trained for it. You're definitely not mentally, emotionally ready for it or physically. Right. There was just so much therapy that they had to go through. And the craziest thing is they also hear like light snoring. So they're like, what the heck? So they end up going into one of the bedrooms and they find Catherine laying in bed in a comatose state. So she was in a coma because she had tried to allegedly overdose with prescription pills. She had also left a handwritten note with a picture of John that was bloodstained and it was covered in pieces of John's flesh. And it had said, time to get back at John for raping my daughter. You two, uh, for little, like none of it made sense really. It said like now play with little John's dick, John Price. I mean, it was really strange. Was she saying John raped Yeah, so she's saying time to get back at John for raping her daughter and then kind of claims that John maybe raped his own daughter and then also saying now John should play with little John's his son's day. It was just such a weird and then like wrote his name and it was just covered in blood and flesh and there is no evidence of that. There is absolutely zero evidence that John was ever inappropriate with his own children or Catherine's children. So it was very, very strange. So she tried a suicide. Yeah. Or maybe it was a show for the police maybe she took enough that she didn't think that she was gonna die because people suspect maybe she didn't know because she seems a little bit narcissistic she doesn't seem like the type that would commit suicide but we don't know right she ends up in a coma for like four days so they're watching her at the hospital they're like you're not getting out of this right Mm -hmm. and they also are starting to piece together everything because they definitely want to ask her what happened but they also want to know all the forensics right Mm -hmm. so their speculation is that when he fell asleep she approached 
punched him, stabbed him with a butcher's knife, and he woke up. The blood evidence shows that he tried to turn on the lights before he attempted to escape. Catherine then chased him through the house and was constantly stabbing him. There were at least 37 stab wounds on the front and the back of his body, and they were so deep that they wounded vital organs. Like these were oh, deep, deep stab God. wounds. He managed to open the front door, get outside. That's why there's a little bit of blood on the front door on the outside, right? Uh-huh. And whether he stumbled back inside or he was dragged inside by Catherine, we don't know. Mm-hmm. But they assume that he then bled out, died. Mm-hmm. Then she went to the ATM mm-hmm. and took his card to withdraw one thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Now here's the crazy thing: that one thousand dollars was never found. So people believe that she buried it somewhere to come back for a later date, like a like a runaway fund, you know. Okay. So that's also why people think that she oh. wasn't trying to commit suicide because I mean none of that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. And so she comes back and then she skins him. And she cooks him, sets the dinner table, hangs up his skin, and does all of that. That is so gruesome. Now, when she wakes up, she claims she has absolutely no memory of anything. She's like, what are you talking about? I have no idea what could have possibly happened. And they were like, we know that you have an idea because you literally went to the ATM. You did A, B, C, and D, you know. Uh And that's when she was like, you know, finally, I'll admit it. I killed him because he was so abusive. Now, uh-huh. later, even Catherine's own brother would tell the police that she had talked about how she was going to kill John and she was going to get away with it because she was just going to pretend like she was crazy. Trials started taking place and this was intense because there was a lot of photographic evidence of everything. I mean, the food, mm-hmm. you know, the the stove the skin curtain, there was a lot. So the court ended up offering 60 different prospects of a jury. And they said, listen, you have the option of being excused at any time due to the nature of this photographic evidence. So they have extra people just in case? Yeah. Oh and immediately, like five people excused themselves. Several more dropped out later. And she was evaluated by a lot of psychiatrists who said, you know, we do think that maybe she had some sort of amnesia and disassociation. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it was a moment of like passion and it wasn't her maybe thinking as clearly as it wasn't premeditated they think right but it was still considered a sane crime like she wasn't insane at the time that this happened Mm -hmm. they also diagnosed her with borderline personality disorder and Mm -hmm. during the entire trial she tried to act super crazy like she would just start screaming out of nowhere Mm. like the judge would say something and then she would just scream like a wild animal and the judge wasn't buying this because she's literally never done this her entire life (laughs) so she's like no i'm crazy i've been crazy boo boo and then she just starts screaming and everyone's like wow she's never done that before like that's weird this is our first time seeing this and the judge knew that she was faking it so the judge was not having it she ends up getting found guilty of the crime (laughs) Mm -hmm. the judge said because of the nature of the crime and the lack of remorse that Catherine showed throughout the entire entire situation she was given a really severe punishment they said even on her papers it was stamped never be released Yeah, so they stamped that and she was sent to prison. Now, in 2006, she appealed her sentencing because she said it was too severe for the crime. Can you imagine? Can you imagine like you kill someone and then you try to feed their remains to their own children? Yeah. And she said that is too severe of a punishment that I have to spend the rest of my living life in these prison walls. 
crazy obviously the judge denied her you know appeal because they're like you are insane <laughs> yeah and from what i can hear she's a the head bitch in charge in prison people are scared of her is that what you're saying like she's like killing it yeah, in the, in the she's prison killing it like she goes to church she's part of the choir in prison and everyone's scared of her she's like the <sighs> bitch in charge like nobody fucks with Catherine knight is what i heard yeah she is scary and she looks scary yes well no yes and no i think yes because i know what she did but if you just look at her mm-hmm. she kind of looks like a nice mom what <laughs> oh no i don't like that smile let me see that one more <laughs> what do you mean? let me see that one more oh hell no you think so oh my god but she, yeah she doesn't look like the also look at the what is that the stove the stove let me see that and then we have some blood wait let me see the stove what's on the stove the vegetables and meat no let me see that one more time yes you're telling me that's the forbidden meat the forbidden meat is that really it seems to be shit that's a lot yeah now let's talk about the second man, a.k.a. the boogeyman, a.k.a. the werewolf, a.k.a. the vampire of Brooklyn. This is Albert Fish. I don't know why I just sounded like a radio host just introducing like the next guest that we have. I'm like, a.k.a. the werewolf, Albert Fish. Sorry. Why is his name so familiar? He's a serial killer. And we never talked about him? We've never talked about him. He's been highly requested. And I mean, I really wanted to talk about him on our YouTube channel, Stephanie Sue, where I do mukbangs and murder. Um, And I just felt like maybe the cannibalism was a little bit too much while we were eating. So I've saved it for you guys. Welcome to Spooktober. So childhood. Let's talk about Albert Fish's childhood. We talk a lot about serial killers who like to inflict pain. You know, they like to torture their victims. And Albert is like that. He loves to torture his victims as well but he also likes to get hurt he loves physical pain when they later x-rayed him there was 29 needles that they found inside of his groin just left over left over that he had pushed in so deep that he couldn't get them out anymore holy cow that is so sick yeah he means sick as a nasty not like not like so you said it a little weird oh we you like that's sick I'm oh, like, no, um, no, 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 no. No. like actually sick no. <laughs> he's also a poop eater what yeah so he was a very two girls one cup type of vibe he i've never to- heard of this like yeah so there are a group of people enjoy yes he was a pee drinker and a poo eater it's a fetish Oh. Poop, poop is something I don't understand. Peeing, I, I, I personally wouldn't be like pee on me, right? Yeah, but yeah. um, if you were like, hey, this is my dream and it's my birthday, I'd be like, okay, fine, right? But with like poop, I'd be like, I don't care if your mom just died, it's your birthday and Christmas at the same time and our anniversary. Like you're never gonna poop on me. Poop on you for a million dollar. Pull them pants down, sir. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> wow, that is so weird. Yeah, so... So it, you're saying it's a pretty common thing? No, no. I think peeing is common. The pooping is not as rare as you would think, though. Like, there is a group of people. It's called scat porn. So... <laughs> How do you know? Because this? I researched it for this. Yeah. It's oh. called scat porn. 
a lot of, I mean, sometimes it involves eating the poo. A lot of the times it just involves like smearing it. Ew. Yeah. Do they like wear face masks? What do you mean? For Corona? No. For, for the smell? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think so. No. Oh my God. I, I would be too traumatized to look it up right now. That is crazy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yes. I don't know why this sounds way more <laughs> disgusting than the forbidden meat that we were talking yeah. about earlier for some reason. Because I think the forbidden meat, there's a disassociation with our brains. Yeah. We're like, we don't even know what that means. You know, like we yeah. we're talking about it. And to a certain extent, we're so grossed out about it. But we don't truly understand. Right. right but the right. pooping, we can wrap our heads around it because we all poop. It's just nasty. Like yeah. we all know what that would look like. So Albert Fish's childhood is a very interesting one. His name actually wasn't Albert Fish. He was born Hamilton Fish. But he ends up being called Albert because they used to just call him ham and eggs later. So he wanted to get away. <laughs> Wait, why? I don't know. Like his bullies would just call him ham and eggs. <laughs> why do I think it's such a cute nickname? I know. It's like such an innocent start to such a sinister story, right? So yeah. they used to call him ham and eggs. So he's like, actually, I want to be called Albert. And Albert was actually the name of a dead sibling that he had that was born before him. So he was born in Washington, D.C. to a dad by the name of Randall. And Ellen was his mother. Now, his dad, Randall, was 43 years older than his mom. He was 75 years old at the time that Albert Fish was born. Is he rich? Not really. Oh. So okay. he was the youngest of four children. He had three older siblings and his family just had an extensive history of mental illness. So his uncle suffered from mania, which is kind of like a mood disturbance that leaves you abnormally energized, hypersensitive to the environment. In really bad cases, you do need hospitalization. Mm -hmm. So it, it is really serious. And his brother was sent to the mental asylum for quite some time. And his sister was diagnosed with a mental affliction. His three other relatives were were diagnosed with a mental affliction and his mom suffered from visual hallucinations so there was extensive family record of mental illness Holy so shit. we can assume that albert fish probably inherited it some genes of some sort of mental illness right so he just i mean there was a lot going on so randall ends up dying of a heart attack the elder fish the old the dad he ends right. up dying of a heart attack because he was um very old at yeah. the time that all of this happened and during this time like women weren't really working like nobody was working it was hard for them to find a job mm -hmm. so because she couldn't support all of her kids she ended up sending them into the local orphanage and this is when albert started experiencing just immense amount of abuse at this orphanage he was just bullied by the other kids they just called him ham and eggs mm -hmm. and he was beaten by all of the adults that were running the facility and he was whipped constantly and the reason that it just got worse is because even like the people who ran the orphanage encouraged the kids to beat the other kids when they were doing things that they didn't like so they'd be like hey kevin go beat the shit out of albert because we don't like the way he's looking at me right now so then little kevin would go and beat the shit out of albert now albert he was a little bit different from the other orphans because immediately upon getting there and getting whipped a couple times he realized that he really looked forward to it like he really enjoyed it he would get excited at the idea of getting whipped and he would even get these erections when he was getting beat that the other orphans noticed like hey you've got a boner you're weird and they would start making fun of him because why are you getting a boner while you're getting whipped 
He started kind of associating this physical pain with sexual gratification. And he was really young. Like he was, he stayed there until he was nine years old. So this was happening when he was like five, six, you know? Wow. So it was really intense. Now his mom ends up getting a government job and she ends up getting enough money to move all of them out of the orphanage and back in with her. Now this is Albert still has lots of issues that he's dealing with. He was a frequent bedwetter, which we've learned before is is not a good sign. Once they get older, it usually means that they're dealing with immense amounts of stress of some sort. And he would run away a lot and his mom would beat him a lot. And at the young age of 12 years old, he gets into a full blown relationship with another boy like a Mm. full-blown sexual relationship with another boy so alfred start alfred starts beating himself to masturbate to like he couldn't masturbate just i don't know by thinking about something or someone he would have to literally like whip himself while he masturbates in order to ejaculate And he's like 11 years old, 12 years old, right? So he starts dating this messenger boy who is also very, very young. And this boy introduces him to something called urolagnia. Now, urolagnia is a.k.a. urophilia, a.k.a. water sports, or most commonly known as golden showers. The definition is sexual pleasure from the sight or thought of pee and or peeing. And there's lots of variations of it. I did not know this. I did not know this. So I researched into it because I get a little bit interested in things like this because I just I want to know like what makes humans inclined to want to do this. Right, right. I knew that golden showers existed. We've all we've all probably seen like a thumbnail of it. Maybe if you've ever been on the hub. No, we have not. Golden showers is like freaking (laughs) like. Like, like, not you click on it, but I think it's pretty common. Like, golden showers, I feel what? like, I feel like if you say golden showers, most people are like, oh, like, I at least know what that is. Like, it's peeing on someone. Right. Not, it's not a common sense, okay? Oh. Most people still don't know about it. You think so? Yes. Um, but once you hear about it, you get the idea of it. Like, like I think oh. it's like pop culture, too. Like, I, th- I don't think it's like something so rare, right? I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> me trying to backtrack my hub. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So the way that your alagnia can be categorized is number one, golden showers, which is peeing directly onto somebody and you get sexual pleasure from it, whether you are receiving or the one giving. And then number two is something called clothes wetting, which is peeing in your clothes and you are not naked. You are fully clothed and you just pee. And either you watch someone pee themselves in their clothes or you pee yourself in your clothes is this next level stuff or just just different, different categories oh. and then you like the like the visuals of your pants getting stained you like the feeling of pee on your legs and then you oh also like the smell God. of pee and you also like the idea that either someone is watching you pee yourself or you are watching someone pee themselves and then number three you have exhibitionism which means you want people to watch you pee So whether you go out to the busy... So the way that it works, they said, for this category is that you hold your pee and Uh you go to a very busy area, whether it's a park or a mall. And in front of a crowd of people, you just pee yourself. And they like that feeling of everyone saw them pee themselves in a large public setting. 
And then you've got the next category, which is BDSM urinal. This is probably like the most intense one, which means that you enjoy either making someone become your submissive urinal or you like being a submissive urinal. So that usually consists of someone sitting there pretending to be a urinal, like pretending to be a toilet. So they're not really like talking (laughs) and they just, yeah, you just... I know I did a lot of research category five is omarashi which is making someone hold their urine so you are literally forcing someone to not pee whether they consent whether they like it is not really of concern to this person I guess and you like seeing the body movements and the painful facial expressions of someone who has to pee really bad so this one is more pain like sadistic related Mm -hmm. right and then you have number six which is voyeurism category which means you just like going into public restrooms and watching people pee and you usually like it without them knowing that you're watching that they're peeing and so some notable enthusiasts of this genre this fetish is there was a guy by the name of patricia o'neill who is a stand-up comedian in america and he loves to pee on his girlfriends and he has a very interesting story because he said that one time he peed on his girlfriend and his girlfriend said hey your pee tastes like birthday cake wait this is real or that was a comedian real and because she said your pee tastes like birthday cake he was like i don't think that's normal he googled it it wasn't normal so he goes to the doctor and that's when the doctor realized that he had diabetes because his girlfriend pointed out the fact that his pee tastes like birthday cake so that was a notable experience for the pee fetish and then you have annie sprinkle who is an american porn actress i believe and her stage name came from the obsession with um Well, Annie Sprinkle, you get it, with bodily fluids. And then you have a guy who is Australian, and he goes by the nickname of Trough Man. He's almost like an urban legend. I mean, it's crazy. Like, he exists, but it's the story of him is almost like an urban legend. So he went to New York one day. He's from Australia, and he went to this bar, and there was this bathtub in the bathroom. This was more of like a fetish bar, and there was a bathtub, and he would just see all these people getting into those bathtubs, and then people standing around and just peeing on them in this, like, club, this, like, crazy nightclub. And so he was like, oh, my gosh. So he gets into the bathtub, and he gets peed on, and he was like, I love it. Then he goes back home to Australia, and he was visiting visiting a lot of these like fetish bars so these are people who are used to like bdsm they're used to like the snm culture they're not really gonna be like your vanilla cookie cutter like oh my gosh i only do missionary type of people right so then he would just go into the men's bathroom and this bar in particular not designed for this but they had one of those big urinals uh-huh. so it's not like each individual one yeah it's just like a long line right that's and that's what, what we had in um in, in middle school in China, really yeah, yeah so it's like it's almost like a trough you know that's where it gets its name and he would just go and like lay there in the trough like a just a regular restroom yeah in this club and these people would just come in and they because you know they're already into bdsm and snm they're just like what the heck dude and they would just pee on him and the club owner was like that's funny and would just let him lay in the urinals all night and get peed on because i mean i guess he's not hurting anyone and technically you don't have to pee on him if you don't want to so he was known as trough man so he's just known for doing this yeah and then people were really inspired by him and like some people you know followed his steps and these are just notable pee enthusiasts that are you know because this is probably something that you don't share with the whole world so these are notable people who are very proud of their pee fetish they're like yeah i like peeing 
Now, cool, this cool. is the not-so-cool fetish. It's called coprophagia, and the messenger boy also introduced Albert Fish into coprophagia, which just means eating feces. Who is this boy? Yeah, he's a he, random bo- boy? Yeah. Like a 12-year-old who's into all of this? I don't know if he was 12, but he was a minor as well. Wow. So he introduces him into eating feces and they would eat each other's poops. Oh, my God. And 12-year-old Albert would visit these public baths to oh, watch boys stop. undress. And oh, I thought he- you... Oh, no, no. Oh, my God. They just go into a public bathroom <laughs> and just have a feast. Oh, God. A buffet. Oh, oh sorry. Honey, no. <laughs> no, no. He would just go into these public bathrooms to watch boys undress and he would masturbate at the same time. Now, when Albert turned 15 years old, he ends up falling from a tree and he gets a serious concussion. And I don't know if this is the same situation as Fred, like we talked about in last week's episode of his House of Horrors, right? And how he had gotten into that nasty motorcycle accident. But Albert believes that this changed him as well because he started experiencing stuttering in his speech patterns he was getting dizzy spells that lasted his entire life he would get these massive headaches Uh that lasted his entire life so he believes something a little bit weird happened there Okay. Now, when he turns 20 years old, he decides to move to New York City from Washington, D.C., and he becomes a male prostitute. And his mom, by the time that he turns 28, is like, listen, you got to marry someone. So you're going to marry this girl that I'm just going to set you up with. Her name is Anna Marie Hoffman. She was 19 years old, so nearly a whole decade younger than him. And they would end up getting married. He wasn't really that into her, but they would still have like six children together. Damn. Yeah, he would go on to have six children together, but he would still go on to have massive affairs with other men. And he really didn't try to hide it. Like it wasn't a secret that was going on in the house. Right. Mm -hmm. And then he would get jobs as like a house painter. Now, on one of these dates with one of the guys that he was having an affair with, they went to like this waxworks museum. And at this museum, he became fascinated with a dissected penis that was like made out of wax. And like normally people would be like, cool. And they would just walk away. Right. Or they'd be like, oh, like educationally speaking, that's very interesting. I didn't know it looked like that inside of a penis. Right. But he was like, oh, my God, I want to see a real one. So that's when he became completely obsessed with the idea of mutilating penises and mutilating people. So he's like, this is what I need to do. Now, during this time, he was raping young boys. His preference was anybody under the age of six. Oh, my goodness. I know. And the method that he would use is he would. Yeah, this is why I saved this one last. It just makes you nauseous. So he was a he was a massive pedophile. He went for boys under age of six and his method was he would lure them away to rape them and torture them. He would say like, hey, do you want a bag of raisins? I got raisins like you want some gum. I got some gum. Right. And his favorite weapon that he would use on these boys as he was assaulting them was a nail studded paddle. What is that? You know, a paddle like you spank people with, but he put four inch nails onto it. So he will pat you with nails? He He will stab you? Yeah, with four-inch nails on a paddle. As he was doing this, at the same time, he was building his family, which I think, you know, there was a lot of fascination about this. It's kind of similar to BTK, which is the blind torture kill killer, the serial killer. And it's because, you know, these are two serial killers that relatively still had a, I wouldn't say normal family life, 
but mm-hmm. not of like a not like Fred and Rosemary. Like they were assaulting their own children and killing mm-hmm. their own children. Like they just had a relatively troubled life, but it wasn't as extreme as you would assume, right? Mm-hmm. So he was just considered a relatively okay dad. Like he had he had weird things that he would do. You know, mm-hmm. but he wasn't abusive physically towards his kids. Mm-hmm. Now, he would masturbate when he was at home while he would insert needles into his groin area because he needed to feel pain. And that's how later on in life they found out that he had 27 different needles inside of his groin area that just like were left there. That's not even just saying he only did it 27 times. It's just like these were the ones that never came back out. <laughs> yeah. And he decided to go on to newspapers. And this is the crazy thing. He would literally find anybody on newspapers. So it's like Craigslist for back in the day. Like you would post, hey, I've got this couch that I'm selling. Or like, hey, I am trying to clean your house. Or like, hey, if you need a tutor, like hire me. And he would look for any listing, really. Like you could be selling a nasty rug on the newspaper. And he will find your address because you usually live leave like something that people can get a hold of you, right? Yeah. And he would write these letters and they were insane to just random people. They would say allegedly, right? These are ones that claim to be Albert Fish's letters, but I don't think they've ever been publicly released. Mm-hmm. They would say things like, hey, I saw you in the newspaper. I can't wait to kiss your ass and drink your pee and eat your shit. And the <laughs> this is verbatim. I can taste your sweet piss. You must pee pee in a glass and I shall drink every drop as you watch. But I love the fact that he said pee pee. And then he said, sit on my face so I can eat your sweet peanut butter fresh and hot. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. And he also said, no need for any toilet paper. Oh, my God. Sorry, guys. I know someone was like about to. They had like a fork full of food that they were like midway transporting into their mouth. Or someone's eating peanut butter right now. Like a PB&J and they just paused. And now they're just looking at their phones, giving me the stink eye, wanting to punch me through the screen. I'm sorry. <laughs> and then he ended up getting prison time, not for the letters, not for harassment, but for embezzlement. <laughs> So he was stealing money. So he ends up going to prison. And in prison, they actually diagnosed him with religious mania, which means he believes that he was the second coming of Christ. And he felt like the only way that he could really um, fulfill his prophecy is to castrate little boys. So he felt like he needed to chop off the penises of little boys in order for him to truly be the second coming of Christ. That's not a real thing, guys, but um, he believed it. Now, that's when he meets. Now, Alfred, at this point, is 40 years old. He's got some children. He's 40. He meets a 19-year-old boy by the name of Thomas Kedden, who he immediately starts grooming. And this was not a consensual relationship. Um, We don't have direct fact that Thomas said no, but we do know that he was intellectually disabled. So this was not consensual in the eyes of the law. And they had entered into a sadomasochistic situation well he had forced him into a sadomasochistic situation which means that alfred took him to a old farmhouse and for two weeks tortured him used him as a sex slave just did everything with him and his plan was just to kill him and leave him there right but then he realized wait a second it's the middle of the summer Mm -hmm. upstate new york it's gonna get so bad Like his smell is going to immediately start alerting the neighbors Mm -hmm. and then they're going to find his dead body and they're going to be able to trace it straight to me. Like I need to give some time. Right. So he's like, oh, man, I can't kill Thomas Kedden. That's not good. Mm -hmm. So he decides I'm just going to cut off half of his penis 
And so he gets scissors and he cuts off half of Thomas's penis. And he keeps the half that he cuts off. And he says that he will never forget the scream that Thomas made or the look that Thomas gave him. But he just had to see it for himself. He wanted to see what it looked like to cut the penis in half. So he poured some peroxide onto his open wound. He wrapped a handkerchief in Vaseline, wrapped that on his wound, on his penis. And then he left him a $10 bill, kissed him goodbye, and then kicked him out of the old farmhouse. Um, They both took the train home. Nobody knows what happened to Thomas afterwards. He never, Albert Fish never tried to find out if anything happened to him. He never knew. He was just out of the picture? Yeah, he never reported it to the police. Which, I mean, I I can see why. So how'd they find out this story? Albert told them. So after that happens, his wife ends up leaving him. I mean, she didn't know that he was going around assaulting young boys. She didn't know that he had just castrated a man. She didn't know any of this, but he was starting to show a lot of his mental illnesses, such as him believing that he's the second coming of Christ, right? And so she decides to leave with the handyman who had rented a room inside of their family home. So she's like, I'm going to just leave while Albert Fish is at work with this man. And she ended up taking everything that was valuable and left all of the children so now albert fish is a single parent of like six kids okay so he's like what the fork am i supposed to do and that's when he really started losing it like he started having auditory hallucinations so he would hear people talking to him he started really indulging in self-harm he would be found by his kids just wrapping himself in a roll of carpet and they'd be like hey dad what are you doing and he would say john the apostle told me to wrap myself in carpet and they would be like okay he would soak like cloth into lighter fluid and he would stick it up his butt and light it on fire so he's on fire yeah he's on fire literally and i'm on fire figured you know it's really hard sometimes to do with like a (laughs) say like i'm just gonna be honest it's so hard to do a segue sometimes i'm like anyways so then they ate people for dinner do you guys want to know about my hair My hair is literally on fire. If you guys don't know, I have been using Function of Beauty for years now. I originally was obsessed with using Function of Beauty because I had these really, really high maintenance extensions in my hair. So that's around the time that I was like, okay, I need to look for a shampoo that is going to make my hair healthy, is going to keep the extensions healthy. And that's when I was like, I'm going to use Function of Beauty. And I freaking fell so much in love with it. With all of this happening in 2020, I was like, obviously can't really go to hair salons. And I took my extensions out. And I thought that I was going to be miserable. I thought, oh God, the hair is going to be so wacko. But honestly, so amazing still. Silky smooth. I mean, it's like a commercial. Here's the thing. Your best friend could have the best hair that you've ever seen. And then you try the shampoo and conditioner and you're like, hey, um, did you lie to me? Because my hair doesn't look like yours. But it's because you are different from your best friend and your hair is different. You're unique and so is your hair. So why wouldn't we get customized shampoo that fits our hair and nobody else's that's why i'm obsessed with function of beauty you take a very very quick but thorough quiz so that you get hair care that is formulated specifically for you no matter your hair type they create a shampoo conditioner and treatments how unique you ask well function of beauty has over 54 trillion possible ingredient combinations you can literally even write your name on it so that your fiance knows hey 
that's my stuff use yours my fiance uses function of beauty by the way <laughs> you can also customize your fragrance the strength of your fragrance the color of your shampoo and all of their formulas are vegan and cruelty free they never use sulfates parabens or other harmful ingredients so you're really getting the best that's for your hair but if you don't believe me they have over 40,000 real five-star reviews and counting it's the internet's top-rated customized hair care brand go to functionofbeauty.com slash rotten to take your four-part hair profile quiz and save 20% on your first order. That's functionofbeauty.com slash rotten. Now, he never physically violated the children, but um, there was some, I would assume to be mental and emotional violations that happened. So whenever his friends were home and they would have their other friends over at their house, he would play this game. He said, hey, kiddos, let's play a game. I'm going to get on all fours, okay? Daddy's going to get on all fours and each of you guys is going to take turns sitting on my back like a little horse ride, right? And you guys are going to hold up a number on your fingers, like whether it's two, like holding up the peace sign or five, right? Like a high five, right? And I'm going to guess what number it is. And if I'm wrong, you get to spank daddy with the nail studded paddle. What in the world? So the kids would literally hit their dad with the paddle it's really um, sick if you think too dip it deep into it because I think when you think of it like first glance, you're like, okay, well, technically, I guess he's not hurting the kids, right? At yeah. least it's better that he's not spanking the kids with the nail-studded paddle. But then when you realize that he physically gets sexual gratification from being in pain, then you're like, oh, God, this is really bad, right? Yeah. And around this time is when he started really becoming obsessed with the idea of cannibalism. That's when he started eating lots of raw meat, um, animal meat. So he was kind of trying to trick his brain that these were human meat. So he's like, oh, I love cannibalism. And then it would just be like a raw steak of beef, right? And he mm -hmm. would even serve it to his kids. He'd be like, eat that beef right now. I mean, this was real beef, okay? It wasn't human meat. It wasn't the forbidden meat. But this was like his obsession with cannibalism that was just starting to form. And he would usually feed his kids raw meat on a full moon. <laughs> Hence the name of the werewolf. Yeah. That's his like little thing. That's he like wait for the full moon. Yeah. Wow. That's his thing. And that's when he starts contemplating murdering people to make his fantasy come true. Because forbidden meat is such an odd thing when you think about it, logically speaking. Because a lot of the times with forbidden meat, the, the end game is not to kill someone. Which a lot of serial killers and psychopaths, the end game is to kill someone. Mm -hmm. With forbidden meat people, the end game is to just get some meat. I don't know what's worse, honestly, but it's just weird. I think it's logically so weird, right? Yeah. It's just an ends to a mean or a means to an end. Yeah, you get it. <laughs> So that's when he starts searching for his victims. And the way that he would usually look for his victims, it's just going to make you so mad, is that he would go for intellectually disabled children, orphans or homeless or black orphans, because he said those are the people nobody cares about. Wait, so he did this a lot? Yeah. Well, he doesn't end up murdering them, but he would at first find these kids and he would try to like rape them, attack them, stab them. And most of them didn't die. So thankfully they weren't murdered. But I just think it's so sick. I, I always think it's sick when serial killers specifically target victims like this. Yeah, yeah. He said that God told him to. God told him to kidnap and try to eat kids. It was a thing. And he said, you know, if God didn't want this, then the angels would stop him. 
That was his reasoning behind all of this. And so he went back to the newspapers looking for more people. That's when he runs into Beatrice. Now, Beatrice, she was on her property, her parents' farmhouse, and she was hanging out outside. And that's when he approaches her on her own property and says, hey, can you go help me pick some like fruit? Because I think there was like some fruit trees nearby. And she was hesitant because she was like, I don't know this man. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I'm going to give you some money. So she's like, "Okay, sounds good. I mean, she's like this young kid. And as they're walking away, the mom sees him chases him down and he runs away and she gets Beatrice. But he's like, I'm going to try again. So he comes back that same night and hides in their barn. And somehow Beatrice's dad, thankfully, saw him hiding in the barn and then chased him away again. Shit. And he was just starting to get antsy. So he had something that he called his implements of hell, which were his three weapons. It included a meat cleaver, a butcher's knife, a handsaw that he really, really wanted to use to mutilate his victims. And he was really eager. So he lured two boys into his house for dinner. Mm-hmm. And he told the boys, hey, why don't you wait in my room right now while I make sandwiches? So they were waiting in his room and the two boys, because they're young, they start getting into like a play fight, right? So they're running around the room, just having a good time. They have no idea like this is a crazy mother forker, right? Mm -hmm. And they're play fighting when they kind of move the mattress off of the bed, right? (laughs) If it was a he likes mattress, that would never happen. Um, But if they kind of like move the mattress off of the bed frame and they see those three weapons underneath Mm -hmm. and these kids are like, we got to go. So they immediately book it out of the apartment while Albert is making them sandwiches. They don't even say bye. They don't even say like, hey, I found your meat cleaver. Right. Mm -hmm. They just run out of there. And Mm -hmm. then eight days later, he tries to kill someone and he succeeds. So this is where his nickname comes. The gray man. He has so many nicknames. What's gray man? So he was really gray. Like his hair was gray. His mustache was gray. And he had kind of like this lifeless color to him. So this is where he gets his nickname. Eight days later, he sees nine-year-old Francis McDonald that was just hanging out in the woods with his friends, right? And he just vanished. And so all of his family members are like, what the heck happened? The, uh, The Boy Scouts end up finding him hanging from a tree. And he was found assaulted, raped, strangled, murdered. He was strangled with his own suspenders. And he was strangled to such an extent that the suspenders were embedded into his skin. Yeah, he had lacerations to his legs and his abdomen. His left hamstring was almost entirely stripped of flesh. So this was an absolute brutal murder. So obviously the police get involved. You know, the families are involved and everyone reports seeing a gray haired man. And even the mom remembers seeing a gray haired man hanging out around the area. She didn't see her son with him, but she remembers seeing this gray haired man. So everyone just said, it's this gray man. It's this gray man, right? He's got gray hair, a gray man mustache and they said everything faded and gray his skin looked just faded and gray uh-huh so then that means they can have a drawing of him yeah but it just wasn't descriptive enough and when they had the autopsy on francis mcdonald they also kind of contradicted everything because they said it's it can't be an old man because he's it would just they're too strong uh-huh. they had such severe lacerations there's no way an old man could do this and you're telling me like freighted and gray like he's got gray hair gray mustache there's no way uh-huh. so there was just a lot of like back and forth a lot of people were questioned because francis's dad was actually a police officer in staten island so they took this case incredibly seriously lots of people were questioned lots of people were arrested some people were ended up charged it never fell on albert fish at the time wow 
And then you have Billy Gaffney. So Billy Gaffney was a four-year-old who was playing inside of his apartment hallway with another three-year-old friend and a 12-year-old older brother of that friend. Now, the 12-year-old went into the apartment to get a glass of water, and both boys disappeared from the hallway when he had come back out. His little brother, three-year-old, was found on the rooftop of the apartment. And when he was asked, hey, what happened to four-year-old Billy, your friend that you were playing with? He said, the boogeyman took him. The boogeyman took him. He's like gray and boogie, right? And nobody really believed him because they're like, okay, well, you're three. You don't know what you're talking about. You just said boogeyman. So discredit you, blah, 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 right? But if they had listened, the description perfectly matched Fish, like the way that he described him. And they later found out that his schedule actually matched up because he was doing a painting job that was only like a mile or two away. So he would have been in the area. But at the time, the police immediately believed that it had to be the work of a serial killer by the name of Peter Kudzinowski, who was also active in the area at the time. The body of Billy Gaffney was never found. And we know this now because Alfred said that he ate him. Alfred Fish took him home, drank his blood, um, which is why he gets the name Vampire. And he also gets, yeah, Vampire of Brooklyn. He said that he cut off all the parts of Billy that he didn't want to consume, put them into a sack of stones and threw them into a local river. He ended up roasting his entire butt in the oven after covering it with bacon strips with his ears, nose, face and belly. He made a stew with onion, celery and turnips. And he said that the boys monkeys, which people have speculated to be his uh, testicles, were yummy and he said sweet like nut i don't i i hate nuts so i don't really know and he said his peewee was too chewy so he flushed it in the toilet by this time albert fish was 58 years old and that's when he sees an edward bud who is 18 years old looking for work in the newspapers and so he goes to edward's place to interview him he's like listen i've got this farmhouse in upstate new york and i want to see if you can do some work there right so he's interviewing him and his whole plan was to take 18 year old edward into his farmhouse and then to kill him and to consume him but as he's at edward's house interviewing him he sees that edward has a 10 year old little sister by the name of grace bud so he suddenly changes his whole plan he's like nah i don't want to kill edward i want to kill grace right so he's like you know what i'm a little busy today but i'm gonna come back next week and i'll pick you up and take you to the farmhouse and you can start working on the farm right Uh and so edward's like sounds great sounds great and that's when he meets grace bud too so he's like bye grace see you next week when i pick up your brother right Uh and so then he goes next week and he has lunch with the whole family Grace and Edward's parents are there and the whole family needed money. So I think they were just all very grateful. So Mm. he meets the whole family. He brought like this strawberry and cheese platter and they eat that together. And he's like, yeah, well, I'm in town right now because I'm in the city right now because I need to go to my niece's party, her birthday party. My niece is like turning nine or something. Right. Mm -hmm. So why don't I go to the party and then I'll come back and pick Edward up to go to the farm. Yeah. Mm hmm. And so they're like, okay, sounds great. And by the way, they know him as Frank Howard. He didn't give Albert Fish as his real name, obviously. He was like, hi, I'm Frank. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, sounds good, Frank, whatever you want. And as he's going out the door, he says, you know what, Grace? 
you want to come to the party with me? My niece is your age. There's going to be lots of girls your age and it'll be fun. And since I'm coming back to go pick up your brother, why don't you just come have a good day? And, you know, my niece could really use some more friends. And so the parents were a little bit skeptical. But Grace was like, please, mom, like, I think they're going to it's going to be so fun. I didn't get to hang out with my friends. Like she was like kind of like pushing her parents and her parents. I think there was a lot of stress of like this could be our potential son's employer. Right. So they were like, okay, fine. Now, back in the day, birthday parties involved you dressing up in your Sunday's best. So Grace excitedly goes into her room, dresses up in her best clothes, comes back down and leaves with Albert Fish. And she was never to be seen again. That is so sad for the parents. And so he takes her to the country house, the place that he intended to take her older brother to kill Edward. And he tells her, hey, why don't you go outside and pick some wildflowers to bring to the party? Right. Uh And he goes upstairs into his room and he hides completely naked. And then he starts calling her name out the window. So he's like, can you come upstairs? Like, I need to fix something before the party. So she's like, "Okay." So she's like, got these wildflowers in her hand, goes upstairs and she opens the door and he's butt naked. So she screams and she tries to run away he grabs her and she starts yelling kicking screaming she says i'm gonna tell my mom and he strips her completely naked chokes her cuts her up and eats her he said that it took nine full days to eat all of her meat now the parents obviously they were freaking out at this point because you know she never came back and they realized that Frank Howard doesn't exist. They only have the description of Albert Frisch's appearance, but that really wasn't going to do anything, right? And 108 days and the police start investigating and they actually end up arresting and charging a man for the kidnapping of Grace Budd, who obviously was innocent. He did not kidnap Grace Budd, but his wife had framed him. So his wife and him were going through a messy divorce. And so his wife was like, oh, yeah, my husband kidnapped Grace Budd. So he ended up getting charged and he spent 108 days in prison. Before the police realized that there really was no evidence. So they let him go. And then six years later, Six years later, the Bud family gets an anonymous letter that shows up. And the mom, Grace's mom, is illiterate. So she had her son read it to her. So Edward read this to her. And I can't imagine how much more devastating that is. And it said something along. It was from Albert Fish. And I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's really long. But this is the gist of it. He said that he had a friend by the name of John who lived in New York next to him. And John, he was a sailor. So a lot of the times he would sail from San Francisco to Hong Kong, from, you know, New York to different places. But one time when John sailed from San Francisco to Hong Kong, when they approached Hong Kong, their boat was stolen. So John, this American fellow from New York, gets stranded in Hong Kong. Right now in Hong Kong, there was a famine. So they were eating lots of kids. That's what he said. There's no proof that this ever happened. There's no proof that there was a famine. Seems a little racist to me if you ask, but who's asking me, right? So he writes in the letter. Anyways, John was in Hong Kong and people were eating kids in Hong Kong because nobody had food. So they were selling kid meat, right? And the younger the kid, the higher the price for the meat. Now, John, before he could find his way back to home, which was in New York City, he had spent a lot of time in Hong Kong. And by that point, he had eaten so many 
kid meat that he became obsessed with the taste of human flesh that he was like, oh, my God, I can't eat anything else. So when he gets to New York, he's like, man, this beef cut just ain't doing it no more. So he's like, "Okay, I'm going to kidnap some kids. So he kidnaps an 11 year old boy and he kidnaps a seven year old boy at the same time. And the way that he does it is he beats them because in his mind, in John's mind, it means he's tenderizing the boys. Like, you know how you cook a steak that you beat at first? So he's like, oh, I must tenderize the children. Now, in the letter, he specifically stated that John, his friend, killed the 11 year old first because he had the fattest ass with the most meat on it. And that's not me saying it like that's literally in the letter. Right. And this is verified to be from Albert Fish. Mm-hmm. And he said that he ate him by roasting his entire butt in the oven before he broiled it, then fried it, then put some things into his stew. And then he did the same thing to the young boy. Now, where does Albert Fish come into it? Well, John approached him and said, you know, you, you don't even know what humans taste like. It tastes so good. And that's when I made up my mind to taste human meat. That's when I brought your family cheese and strawberries that day under the pretense of hiring your son. And we had a good lunch together. Little Gracie sat on my lap for a second. And that's when I knew that I was going to eat her. So I made a lie up about the party. There was no party. I don't have a niece. And she told me that she was going to tell her mom when I started to take off her clothes. And she fought like hell. He put this all in the letter. Like, imagine being the parents reading that. What the fuck? What's going on? This is six years later? Yeah. Isn't he like fucking 65? Yeah. And he said, her sweet, tender ass was roasted in the oven. It took me nine days to eat her body. And he said, I didn't F-U-C-K her. I know. Usually I don't censor and usually I say it, but like I can't say that. He said, I didn't do that. I kind of wished I had, he said. And his last words in the letter was, see, this is so weird. He said, she died a virgin. Like my stomach is turning. This letter was it. This letter kind of reminds me of the toy box killer audio transcript. Mm -hmm. It's just I I don't like it when like Mm -hmm. I just don't like it. It's one thing to understand the story. It's another thing to have like direct communication between killers and victims or victims families. It's Mm -hmm. just it's nasty so it was unsigned obviously and by this point it had been six years past they knew that there was no frank howard they knew that this was kind of a dead end right Mm -hmm. but the police when they took a hold of the letter they realized yes it was unsigned but on the very very back of the stationery there was an emblem now the emblem it's mm-hmm. like a little logo it mm-hmm. had nypcba on it which they found out matches to the acronym of a company name called new york private chauffeurs benevolent association it's a mouthful okay. so the janitor that was interviewed because everyone in that little association was interviewed and the janitor said listen i took some stationery home i left it at 200 east 52nd street and i probably left it there when i moved out of that unit so they're like okay let's go back to the unit they go to the managers of the unit and they say oh yeah a guy by the name of albert fish is staying there and so the chief investigator decided to wait outside for fish but he didn't end up coming back that day or the next day it would be four months later 
Why? Until he came back. I think he knew that the police was on to him. Now, this four months is actually going to call into question a lot of different things, too, right? So he comes back four months later and he agrees to go to the police station. He's like, yeah, let me go to the police station to get questioned. And immediately, as he said that, this old dude, Albert Fish, I mean, he was old. He was frail. He pulls out a razor blade and the police is like, really, dude? And he knocks the razor blade out of his hand and is like, all right, let's go. And so he disarms him, takes him in. And when Albert Fish is getting interrogated, I mean, there is no denial. He even says, I killed Grace because originally I wanted to kill Edward, but then I saw his little sister Grace. He said that he didn't rape her, but while choking her, he involuntarily ejaculated twice. So the police, they really wanted to cover, they didn't want to talk about the cannibalism. So they told the press that this was a sexually motivated kidnapping. Why is that? I think back in the day, like it just was too much. Yeah. So it wasn't released. Yeah, until way later. Huh. So he basically gave gave the gave up the information as soon as he got arrested. Yeah, and he said that he would even make his victim spank him with the paddle before he killed them because he got off on the pain. He loved eating their meat, he loved drinking their blood, he loved roasting butts in the oven. He also confessed to like a dozen other assaults, murders. They also found out about the two other murders of Francis and also Billy. Mm-hmm. And it, it just was a lot. Like they really could only find evidence of these three. But people speculate that he could have up to 12 victims. Albert Fish himself claims there's 50 children that he killed. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Six years? Yeah. I'm pretty sure... Sounds like he's not resting for those six years. Yeah. And then the four months that he just disappeared while they were waiting outside his apartment, you know, surveilling him. It's like, what do you think he did? Just like hung out? I don't think so. Yeah. So he ends up going to prison. And even in prison, he was just a wild one. So they would serve chicken and he would hide the chicken bones in his cheek. He would go into his prison cell, sharpen it against cement, and he would constantly stab himself. And people thought it was suicide attempt, but most people assumed that most most people who knew Albert Fish assumed it was sexual pleasure. What in the that world? That it wasn't like a suicide attempt, right? Yeah. And so the trial happens. Now Albert Fish pleads insanity. He's like, I was absolutely crazy. Now psychiatrist and the defense attorney at this time, I mean, this is the time before Ted Bundy was alive. This is the time before like your, you know, Ed Kempers, your Ed Gaines, like this was back in the day, right? So they were like, he is a psychological phenomenon. Like they did not understand him at all because just in sexual fetishes, he had so many. So he was he was into sadism which is inflicting pain he was into masochism which is getting pain he was into something called flagellation which means fogging flogging or whipping or lashing a body with special instruments such as whips he was into exhibitionism which is going out into the public and exposing yourself like just showing off your pain in public he was into voyeurism which is aka peeping tom he was also into something called Pickerism, which we know what it is, but I didn't know there was a word of it, but it's sexually penetrating the skin with sharp objects. So like needles and shit. 
Well, there's a term for that. Yeah, I didn't know. I thought it was just acupuncture, but um, <laughs> honey, that's I know. But when you're sexually into it, it's like different, and you're not doing right. it for like you know health for... purposes. Yeah, you get. I didn't know this was a thing. I thought the only times you stick needles into your body were for health purposes. Oh, I see. You know, I, see I you didn't mean. think yeah. that like people were like, yes, I consent to this, but not because it's gonna make me healthier, but because I'm yeah. going to like it. He was into cannibalism. He was into the coprophagia which is the pooing he was into the urophilia which is the peeing he was a pedi- he was into pedophilia necrophilia castration self-castration drinking blood infibulation which means removing genitals or stutering genitals which means sewing up like genital areas whether it's a vagina or um sewing up penises he just liked that and so he was found sane and guilty and the judge ordered him to a death sentence now his last words were i don't know why i'm here and he was he died via electric chair now there's a rumor that they had to actually do it twice according to the legend the rumor that they had to do it twice because the first time they did it because of all the needles inside of his body it short-circuited so they did it twice and i'm not gonna do it i'm not gonna do it (laughs) What? But Up. he was fried fish. <laughs> I'm sorry, everyone did it. I had to do it. <laughs> they fried fish. Yeah, he was fish and chips. <laughs> Electric chair, Albert Fish. Fried fish. It's getting oh late. Oh my god. Yeah, it's getting late. Yeah, so That's they crazy. So they fried fish. Um the attorney for Albert Fish said that hours before his death, Albert Fish had written, written several pages of letters that he would consider his final statement. And the press was like, what? Are you serious? Read mm-hmm. it to us. Read it to us right now. And he says, I will never release this. I will never show this to anyone. It was the most filthy string of obscenities that I have ever read. So he said that he would just never, for the sake of everyone else, he would never, ever release it to the public. And I don't think it has been released because I don't even think like the police would be interested in it anymore because it was his final statement. Yeah, Unless there was some more laws that he had broken in there. So the suspected victim count for Albert Fish is anywhere between, well, we know three at least, murders, right? But I mean, you're talking, I don't even know how many victims of just overall trauma and crimes. But in terms of murder, three to nine, but he claims that he had one kid in every state is what he said. And that is the crazy story of Albert Fish. I mean, I just don't know. All these stories, I feel like these stories are so weird today. I honestly was originally debating between doing one or the other, but I was like, you know what? Mm -hmm. It's Spooktober. I'm going to hit him with both. Damn. Which one do you think scares you more, though? Obviously, the Albert Fish. Yeah. The first one is just... Relationship motivated. Yeah, just like extreme yeah freaking it's not as random yeah yeah what's very interesting though about Catherine knight is that psychologists claim Mm -hmm. that um she has no psychopathic traits so they don't think that she's a psychopath she's just genuinely evil that's scary that's scary right like they don't think like oh she has no emotions for other you know how like psychopaths it's like oh they don't even know how to feel for other people 
Yeah. So you're like, okay, something is missing in their brain where they feel empathy or they've realized what they're doing to other people. But lots of psychologists say that other than borderline personality disorder, she does she's not considered a psychopath. So they claim that she's just pure evil. That's like the talk of the town. <laughs> you're like, what town? I'm like, true crime Reddit town. <laughs> yeah, that's the talk of that town. Yeah, let me know, guys. Which case did you guys like was this too much i know i'm trying to space out the cannibalism ones i will say that i do have um a sort of like interest i guess in researching stuff like this because i think it's just so like what is going on in that brain right Mm -hmm. to make you think that uh, you get it i hope you guys enjoyed and i will see you guys next week for spooktober bye bye